0: go radio 8.4 uh i'm seth fisher i got alex Strain here brian cook will be joining us he just uh he's walking back from downtown didn't make it quite back in time so how you doing alex
1: yeah we don't i'm <laughs> pretty good we don't need uh three people to cover iowa right. they're simple enough
0: <laughs> So yeah i mean we've they're pretty much the same team as last year, minus a couple of good players, which is not what you want to hear if you're an Iowa fan. So, do um, you want to just... Uh, well, let's just start with their defense because I feel <laughs> like I think people I know enough about their offense. Uh, number one in the country right now, is that true?
1: Uh, in SP Plus, yes. Um, it's worth noting that. You know, this is going to be a test for Iowa, right? Like they have played four teams and none of those four teams are particularly spectacular offenses. Iowa state is the best by a wide margin and they are 49th in SP plus. So they really haven't seen anything um, like they will see with Michigan. And luckily for them, they play in the big 10 West. So this might be the only, yeah. <laughs> I guess, Minnesota only offense. Yeah. Like Minnesota started to look two pretty... two of them. Yeah. Right. Well, I, um, I can say
0: the same thing about Michigan too—that we haven't played anybody, and at least that is, our yeah. offense has not played any defense that's particularly scary yet.
1: Right, and uh, this one's got a lot of good players. Uh, the defensive line, I think, is is not um, the same level as the other units, but it's still pretty strong. Um, you know, they're a classic four-down lineman team. They rushed four on every play that I charted. Uh, At least four, obviously. They blitzed a little bit, which is a topic of discussion we can get into in a moment. But they never rushed three. So Mm -hmm. what we saw last week with Maryland rushing three and dropping eight into coverage, that just never happened. And when I charted their game against Wisconsin last year, same story. They never rushed fewer than four players on a single play. So this is a, a pretty, you know, the four down linemen. They're not doing anything weird. They're just coming at you. Yeah,
0: but and I mean, maybe that's... they're just saving the weirdness for Michigan, right? It's, it's like, possible. That's that's what we're fearing, right? That like, yeah. he has these games where all of a sudden Kirk Ferentz turns into, you know, a twenty first century head coach all of a sudden, and you're like, where did this come from? What do you what? Go back to the twentieth century. You're you've all because, and I mean, if he's gonna do that this year, this is the game he's gonna do that, right? At home with Michigan visiting. You a would benching, think
1: so. Yeah. And he's got a lot of heat on him after these first four weeks. So a win would go a long way. So the defensive line, the interesting thing uh, to point out here is Lucas Van Ness is a guy who gets starter snaps, but he's not technically a starter. I thought he was their best defensive lineman. He can play inside and out. They kind of move him around. I thought he was the best at creating havoc. Um, But there isn't a guy here that... He's going to burn around the edge and just take out the quarterback. They have a good number of sacks, but in my estimation, those were mostly coverage sacks against Rutgers, which, you know, lucky for them. They do coverage very well. And if you give uh, these guys enough time, they'll probably get home. But there isn't, um, you know, Arnold Abikiti here or, or, you know,
0: now now last year, I mean, they held up pretty well on the inside. And it's the same guys, right? It's Logan Lee and Noah Shannon. And then yep. they, they rotate in Lucas Van Ness as like a third guy. But all these guys are in the 270s. I think maybe Noah Shannon's in the 280s. None of them are big, though.
1: No, none of them are big. And so there is a question of whether Michigan can just load up with the tight ends and try and and move this front. I'm not sure. Michigan didn't really have a ton of success doing that in the Big Ten Championship game. They did better outside the tackles. Obviously, that's where the Blake Corm
0: well, Long run they, I mean, because yeah. outside the tackles is where Iowa was getting them. I talked about this last year where like they were having their defensive ends kind of step up and in. And then yep. we saw uh, Michigan recently actually have a counter for that. I'm sure they put that on the f- they had that specifically to like to tell Iowa not to do that. <laughs> but I'm sure it's going to be part of their strategy. I'm just interested. Like last year, I loved Vastardis, but he wasn't moving guys. Right. He was not like your, your big burly dude and Oluwotimi and Zinter together on the inside, and then add Jones as well. I, I wonder if they're going to get more movement on those tackles and be able to like run the ball inside this year, this, this year where they weren't able to last year.
1: It, it's possible. Um, I think one of the other reasons why it, it tends to not be as fruitful between the tackles is that even if you move those defensive tackles, uh, the linebackers generally know where to beat. You have two returning starters at linebacker in Jack Campbell And Seth Benson, um, Mm. Campbell, is the returning first team All-Big Ten, second team All-American, not the one-time Michigan goalie commit uh, (laughs) slash Edmonton (laughs) Oilers goalie. Um, So those two guys are good. Here's the thing. They're not uh, Devin Bush, right? They're not Junior Colson level of athletic. They are... No, but they're guys great Iowa is,
0: linebackers. I mean Jack Campbell right, the, in particular. They
1: they know they know where to be, they know what to do, but one thing I saw with Rutgers that they did pretty well is they have a lot of those little guys, right? They have mm-hmm. those <laughs> guys they like to run into space, they had a wheel route, they had a few you know, anytime you could isolate Campbell into coverage on a really fast small dude, that's hmm. not a matchup he's necessarily going to win. And that's something I would look for.
0: Okay. And then Jack Campbell, last year, he really messed up with Michigan by, you know, changing the defense up, calling his own blitzes, like, just a few seconds before the snap. And Michigan, like, th- you know, if you, they had to snap it at that point. Maybe get in the line earlier. Maybe, you know, I don't know how J.J. is going to handle that. But, like, you would think McNamara would have been one of the best players to handle that. And it, they st- still got Michigan a few times last year. Yeah. I mean,
1: this is definitely a game where I think Cade would have been better suited to do some of the things or combat some of the things Iowa does, which is why it's an interesting test. Mm -hmm. Um, for JJ, Iowa was kind of four, three forever. They've moved now to finally begrudgingly changing with the times a little bit. They've got, uh, a cash, which is the hybrid space player. Um, so they switch out the third linebacker. So there's the cash and the Leo, the cash is a nickel corner and the Leo is a linebacker. Those are just fancy names, but they, they swap out. So the cash right now is Sebastian Castro, who 511 two Oh seven. He's a cornerback. Um, the Leo is Logan Klemp with a K L E M P. Um, he is filling in for Justin Jacobs. Who's injured. Um, that's kind of a big injury because Jacobs was a, experienced linebacker um klemp is 6 235, so a linebacker um and uh against rutgers they were mostly in 4 5 with the cash basically playing corner michigan will see what they do with that but you know that's something to, to just keep an eye on um and then the secondary level has got a lot of stars they've they return riley moss kind of the quintessential iowa corner um a uh, ball hawking guy. He had four interceptions last year, was the Big Ten defensive back of the year, including two pick sixes against Indiana last season. No interceptions so far this year, but the guy who's getting the interceptions is Cooper DeGene. And you like him a corner. lot. Right. I like him a lot. Yep. He had the kind of spectacular pick six um against Rutgers. He catches it over the shoulder and then he turns around and runs 40 yards into the end zone and it wasn't just 40 yards down the sideline he weaved across the field followed the blocker i mean it was it looked like a really good punt return uh level return um but he was uh did really well in that game i mean he i thought outplayed riley moss and when you outplay riley moss who is the reigning big 10 db of the year you get the star on you right. so <laughs> <laughs> they've got two really polished corners guys who know this system really well and and even at the safety position you've got a new starter Quinn Schulte replacing Dane Belton who was an NFL draft pick and I didn't see a lot of reason to think there's a ton of drop off there and that's kind of what I said in the in the uh, August previews I was doing when I was came to the enemy ranked secondary I was like well, Clint Schulte's been in the program three years. He's from the state of Iowa. This guy knows what to right. do in his sleep, and and, and he, he sure enough, he last did. Year. He
0: uh he played a little bit yeah. against Michigan too. Like he was rotating in. He was the third safety yeah. last year. So it's not like he's coming from nowhere and doesn't know the system. Like he's just another Iowa safety. But yep. I always like Kayvon Merriweather. I don't think you talked about him much. Like it's hard to see him unless you're really playing a running. Well, game. And, and,
1: yeah, and he's a running, run first, you know, run defense first guy in Iowa. Yeah uh didn't face many runs against Rutgers so
0: yeah and he's I mean he's almost linebacker size he's a guy from Detroit by the way and like I know to Detroit coaches who are you know he's another one of those how could you let him get away because he's like a great kid and like every the coach you know whoever coached him loved him and like you know all the way up through middle school they knew who he was and then he goes to Iowa and he's a star um but yeah he is awesome at coming down against the run and that I think was another hidden reason that Michigan last year – I remember specifically one play where Quorum gets the – they get the blocking they want. Coram gets the bounce that he wants. And all of a sudden he's breaking down. And you saw – duo was a big part of it. We'll talk about the Maryland game and how they were using duo in, the, in that game. But, you know, Corham would break out and all of a sudden he bounces and there's nobody there. He would bounce against Iowa and Merriweather would show up. And that's – you know – it's a hard thing to get around unless you're finding ways to like burn burn him and make him play safety, basically, which is kind of my hope for this game, is that Michigan can just test these guys athletically like they haven't been tested yet.
1: Yeah, and that's really the biggest weakness for the Iowa defense, is that these guys are not Alabama-level athletes. They are really well-drilled, They really they know what to do, they're smart, they're sound, all that stuff, but they're not going to outrace some of the guys Michigan has. And so coming up with some tricky stuff to get them out of position, I thought Rutgers did a good job when they would kind of uh, go to Iowa into doing something and then attack where that spot is, right? they let the defensive lineman run straight into the backfield and realize, uh-oh, mm-hmm. we're coming right in your lane. And they go, you know, or they – they responded to blitzes from Seth Benson off the edge, boom, hit a, swing, a screen pass you know, right where he was standing in the spot he vacated. Those kinds of things where I think, um, their best approaches. And obviously with Iowa, you know, get the lead and then don't turn it over. We talked about this last year. Iowa gets a lot of interceptions. They've done that for a long time. It's not random at this point. It's by design. It's what they do. And this is a huge test for J.J. Yeah. No. The, the the biggest way this game gets weird is if you throw pick sixes, and we are just coming off a game in which Iowa scored two defensive touchdowns, and they hung <laughs> around against Iowa State but, because but it was
0: against of lots of yeah. It's, I mean, I, I I we got a brand new quarterback this year too, but it's Rutgers, and they're like down to you know the bottom of the Big Ten barrel as far as quarterbacks are concerned right now.
1: Yes, Evan Simon is. Not great, <laughs> right? All right. Speaking of not great, the Iowa offense.
0: Ah, I was, <laughs> was going to let you talk about the uh, the defense longer, but okay. <laughs> I'm surprised this one didn't make you go insane because I mean you you had to watch some putrid football this year and this is yeah. This, how's this one ranked next to you know Hawaii and whatnot? Um, this one is just. Um, oh, Brian, you're really here just in time. To- we just switched the Iowa offense.
1: Oh, good. You guys (laughs) really saved the best for last. Uh, No, I mean, this is mostly the same offense. Um, You know, Spencer Petras is back. Last time we saw these guys, they were rotating Spencer Petras with Alex Padilla. That's no longer happening, but that's not because Spencer Petras has improved. He's the same guy. Um, They lost Tyler Goodson. And that is kind of a big deal just because he was a pretty good player. And I was watching the clips from the 2016 Michigan Iowa game and was kind of remembering how much of a weapon Akram Wadley was back then and like how different an Iowa offense can be if they have one guy who can do something like what Wadley was able to do. And LaShawn Williams is a decent running back, I thought, but nothing special. And Gavin Williams and Caleb Johnson, the other running backs are all just guys really um, and it's kind of a similar story at wide receiver. Um, Keegan Johnson was kind of the guy I had hoped for Another in John- the offseason. Is
0: everyone on this team named Johnson and Williams, by the way? Pretty much. Well,
2: I mean, that
1: goes with the theme of the Iowa offense, which is as
2: boring as possible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I mean, Keegan Johnson was a, was a four-star uh, prospect who was a true freshman last year. So I came into the year thinking, like, well, if they get one receiver, it might be him. He's hurt. So... Instead, they have Nico Regani, who hasn't done anything. Arlen Bruce fourth, our name of the week candidate. Um, he gets a lot of screens. Otherwise, and this was the big thing, they just don't throw at the wide receivers, like at all. And I made that uh, clear in the piece where I was like, well, they only throw at the tight end Sam Laporta. And then, as I went along, all of the clips of the passing game were intended for Sam Laporta. And by the end, I was like, "Well, yeah, you can tell I wasn't lying. <laughs> They're all intended for this guy." I mean, they throw and it out Bruce, a...
0: but like, other than him, there's yeah. probably, there's like six or seven targets all year. Split. Gone to yeah, split
1: between like five guys. Right. Um, and Laporta had a great game against um, Rutgers. He had a great uh, route down the sideline, and that was Petrus's best throw in that game. But they do get tunnel vision with him. That because they only target him, they miss other stuff. And uh, when they get into the red zone, there were two different throws. One of them, Petrus misses a guy pretty wide open uh, underneath Arlen Bruce, who probably would have had a touchdown. Instead, he's just jacking it up to Laporta, who you know is clearly covered, doesn't come down with it. The other one, they throw a fade for Laporta, and he gets yanked down. Yes, Rutgers didn't do a great job of that, but the ball was way overthrown. And that's kind of – that's their red zone offense. Just throw it in Laporta's direction. It's Peacher's throwing it so it may or may not be 10 feet over his head. And just hope he either makes a miracle catch or gets yanked down. Because otherwise, they don't have a lot of options. The offensive line isn't opening up a ton of holes overall. Um, And the thing I kind of noticed for the offensive line is that they have too many plays where things just go really haywire. Um, You know, they'll gain – decent yardage and then all of a sudden the third or fourth run of a drive will just be like a negative six yard run or like two guys just unblocked up the middle boom hit in the backfield and the problem with that is the the Iowa offense if that happens the drive's over like they just cannot sustain a play in which you lose the down and you lose five yards they get into third and 12 the drive's over and so if, if you have a second and seven play where you go five yards backwards and lose the down that's it And it happens too much. It happens in the passing game. They give up too many sacks, too many plays where it's not just guys getting beat. It's just guys not even being blocked. It's just not well organized at all. And it's just kind of a compound of all these problems. The the wide receivers, they don't throw to and aren't really getting open. The quarterback who can't throw accurately. Running backs, just guys. Offensive line leaky. All these things compound. The scheme being stale. (laughs) It's it's a multi-layered problem that why they can't move the ball.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, there were two things that really jumped out to me when I was going over their statistics. Is One, Charlie Jones, a.k.a. Chuck Sizzle, has more receiving yards than Iowa does. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to explain who that is. <laughs> so Charlie Jones transferred from Iowa to Purdue and now has 533 receiving yards this season, which is more than the entire Iowa team has. And second, they've given up nine sacks. Yep, And they've only throwing the ball 94 times. So if you have a sack rate that's 9%, that's like 120th in the country. And look at who they've played. Like, sure, it's a good FCS team. Iowa State's a good team. Nevada's not. Rutgers is not. So they're giving up a ton of sacks relative to how much they're throwing the ball and where they're throwing the ball. They're throwing the ball close to the line of scrimmage. So, I mean, to me, it's really the offensive line that makes this feel kind of like terminal ferrant spiral i know they just went to the big 10 championship game a year ago but their <laughs> offense is so bad and i mean just a few years ago they had two guys that tackle who were nfl prospects they just have a guy coming off of ribbington and they have nobody on that ol i mean maybe there's a one guy who can turn into a player down the road but the, just their bread and butter what the thing that they've been doing forever the kind of organization You see on their defense. You just don't see on their offense anymore.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, is there anything that you're, I mean, who, is there anything that you need to see? Or is there anything that is going to like any reason to worry whatsoever? Is there any, like, describe to me a scenario where Iowa is actually moving the ball, like crazy Iowa, Kirk Ferentz, all all the weird stuff aside, like what, what, what's going to have them moving the ball down the field? Uh, Pregnant boss. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) Look, I think that they'll get a a few, you know, cute things, right? They they did that in the Big Ten Championship game. Oh, here's a cute little rollout. Get the tight end to, to, um, you know, spring out from the formation. You can pick up a few yards. I mean, their scripted drive in the Big Ten Championship game was pretty good last year. It got them into field goal range, and then their vaunted kicker shanked it, and that was the end. And that's kind of what I sort of see here. Like, they might come in with a few neat things, but the list of neat things that Brian Ferentz has drawn up is probably, like, three plays long. And then when you get done with those three plays, I don't know. Like, they would have to show something they have not shown this season that they did not show at any point last year. I don't know. I mean,
2: the, I mean the, it's, it's really hard to to think about it because the thing that Iowa absolutely has none of is explosion. Yep. Mm-hmm. So they are dead last in the conference in 10-yard plays. And Rutgers, who's 13th, has 20 more 10-yard plays than Iowa does. It's 27 to 47. So they have so many fewer opportunities to actually break something long. So they're pretty much committed to these baton death marches down the field that they're just not good enough to execute. So, I mean, for me, it's does Michigan bust? hmm do they just leave a guy wide open? And is it Sam Laporta? So like be so that Petris is actually looking at him. I mean that's that's kind of the thing. This is more of a situation where if Iowa does something, there's gonna be a lot of fingers to point on the Michigan defense just because they're they've proven themselves completely incapable of moving the ball without assistance from the uh, the opposition.
0: Yeah, I mean I was trying to think of some of scenarios and like, you know, the cross field pass to the fullback you know, throwback kind of thing. Like that, that's the kind of, those are the kind of plays that will get you maybe one or two times a game against a team that's like specifically prepared for Michigan because their first, I don't know if their first four opponents really warranted that kind of preparation, Rutgers aside. Um, and then just it's just like their special teams are going to put you deep. Right so like you're going to be fighting uphill to get to the 50 yard line and then you have to complete it. So it's explosion both ways, right? Like the offense you need to get something explosive against them and flip the field and then that's over. But they can keep you back on your side of the field for so long without actually having any offense.
2: Yeah, and I mean we'll see how that works out. I know I missed the other side of the ball, but you know Michigan looks like they have a couple of guys who can really run. Hmm. Who are going to have to get matched up against linebackers? And I have a lot of respect for what Iowa does, but like, are they really going to be able to keep up with Corum and and Donovan Edwards if Michigan tries to test them horizontally? We'll see. Right. Uh, I mean, that was that was the thing that really worked in, in the Big Ten championship game, right? They had the end arounds that were, were big plays, and McCarthy got outside for for chunks of yardage, and then Corum, while his play didn't go outside. Michigan threatened the outside by having McCarthy in the game. Yeah. But I think that there's just a certain level of athleticism that Iowa does not possess that means that if Michigan is able to really stretch the field horizontally, their linebackers aren't going to be able to get outside.
0: All right. No no fear of Monty Podabom, the fullback just uh running over our linebackers or something. Like
2: <laughs> I mean, if their offensive line was a little bit better. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, the thing that does worry a little bit is you know they are zone stretch, zone stretch, zone stretch team. Michigan doesn't really see a lot of that, mm-hmm. and I think their defensive tackles have the agility to be able to to make that work. But we just haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so.
0: yeah, there might be. I mean, the freshman tackles get in there. I mean, Mason Graham is not—he's he's the most adult true freshman I've ever seen. But you know, he or Rayshon Benny are due for one of those plays where they just get too far up field on a, on a stretch play because it just happens to freshmen all the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, and like. I think even though Iowa's offense looks real bad, that they're probably playing below their actual level just because it's been so horrendous. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like they're going to get a little bit better. They're going to work through some things. Michigan might give up a a chunk or two. I predicted they would get nine points in this game. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And that might feel bad, but I I just feel like their, their level is not... Is probably not nearly as bad as they've
1: shown so far. Yeah. Um, well, maybe it is. I. All right. I mean, so so is nine points, three field goals, a touchdown, and a safety. Uh, three a four safeties, and
2: a, four and a half <laughs> and safeties.
1: Okay. Four they get the one
2: point half. safety, the unusual ruling. Yeah, we'll we'll get that we'll get that sorted out. I don't know.
0: Uh, return a two point conversion and drop kick it I think yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think
2: it happened once in football, and, and that was the the official being like, we have an
0: unusual ruling. So. <laughs> uh, last year, Ference or did he survive?
2: I mean, they're not going to get rid of him the year after they went to the Big Ten championship game, but it does feel, I, I mean, this might be premature, but this does kind of feel like the beginning of the end. Hmm. You have a clear case of very terrible nepotism. Your offense is completely unwatchable. You're wasting a championship defense. Does the offense get better next year? Doesn't look like it. Does the defense stay at this level? Probably not. So at some point, it just becomes
0: untenable. And then Brian Ferentz has to be the head coach. <laughs> Speaking into existence, uh, any other Iowa things, or do you want to hit a break? Let's hit the break. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground Printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Ufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing at one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, trying to collect sizes and payments for a family union... Or, you know, ordering a whole bunch of shirts with your Kickstarter. Underground Printing is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with their easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order. Chasing people down to pay. Wasting time trying to sort out the order. They'll set it up. You can just sit back and relax. They'll even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit them at any of their convenient locations or at pogo.undergroundshirts.com.
3: At Peak Wealth, we believe we can help you retire with confidence. It's Nick Hopwood, Certified Financial Planner from Peak Wealth in Plymouth. I graduated from Michigan in 2001 with an econ degree and founded Peak Wealth Management in 2014. Now we have over 240 million of assets under management. As a freshman in 97, winning the national championship in football and hockey didn't get any better than that. Both my wife and I lived in Bursley that year, and it's crazy because we never actually met while living in the same dorm. Probably because she had a car and I had to ride the bus. But we named our dog Bursley anyway and he's on the payroll here at Peak Wealth Management. At Peak, we're fee-based. We're your fiduciary, which means everything we recommend is always in your best interest. We partner with leading institutional money managers, focus on low fees, make sure every client has a financial plan covering retirement, college, tax, estate, insurance, and cash flow. Simply put, we are Peak Wealth Management, your comprehensive financial coach. Book your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak Wealth Management. Retire with confidence. Passion for e-commerce, self-stuff online, security, performance, conversion, beautiful user experiences, Bella expérience utilisateur, monthly marketing, PPC SEO, make your user a customer, conversion, Arte perfume for online retailers, love your website, let human elements show you how, available at human-element.com and find apartment stores, not find apartment stores. One
0: and two and... If you find yourself on the wrong side of the law, you want a Michigan man in the huddle. Call criminal law attorney and former prosecutor Jonathan Paul at 248-924-9458 or visit his website at michiganlawgrad.com. John is a proud graduate of the University of Michigan Ross School of Business and Michigan Law School. He looks forward to showing you the Michigan difference.
2: With this. uh what's this segment seth we're doing a great job of being a very professional podcast
0: we are it's uh it's the i think we're gonna talk about maryland's after we've seen the ufrs and you were gonna go first because offense always goes Uh-oh. first
2: uh does it i guess well, actually, uh,
0: We actually you know what goes before the off the offense every time soup our sponsors Thank you to Underground Printing for making this all possible. Underground Printing makes custom apparel such as t-shirts and sweatshirts. They're funded by two Michigan alums over 20 years ago at three retail locations in Ann Arbor and offer thousands of University of Michigan athletic products for sale, ranging from clothing to accessories and memorabilia. Check them out at ugpmichiganapparel.com. Check out our selection of t-shirts at MGoBlogStore.com. Let's not forget our associate sponsors, Peak Wealth Management, Homeshore Lending, and Arbor Elder Law, Michigan Law Grad, Human Element, the Phil Clan Insurance Group, Venue by 4M, which is where we record on Sundays, and Signal Wire, which is where we are recording right now. All right, so UFR lessons from
2: Maryland game. I think we're going to have to start with J.J. McCarthy, otherwise the uh, roiling masses will consume our soul. Uh, I mean, it wasn't great. It was, there were a lot of dubious decisions in that game. The first real start against a real competition for young quarterbacks, kind of what you expected. Uh, I'll start with the positives is that he did not miss by more than a few inches on any throw under 20 yards. Like, (laughs) that's something that you can't take for granted. Like, Mm -hmm. he, all of his inaccurate passes were bombs. All of them.
0: And not all of his bombs were inaccurate. Sure. Yeah. I mean,
2: one was on point but there's an interesting story to that as well. So Devin Gardner, like the actual former quarterback, and he's looking at his mechanics. He's like, well, this is kind of unusual. And so what you see on his first few throws is he has this kind of a exaggerated follow through with his feet. That kind of looks like a pitcher. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, when they're just trying to put as much velocity on the ball as possible, not that exaggerated, but you can see his, his arm, his leg kind of swing around. So, what happens is he misses all of those long. And then on the last drive where he does attempt bombs, there's the one to Andrew Anthony does not have the, the leg kick. And that's the first one that's short. And then two plays later, they load it up to, to Ronnie Bell, no leg kick right on point. So when he's in the press conference after the the, the game and he's talking about how his arm was 110% oopsies, I think there might be something to that because, of course, he has off-season surgery. He misses the spring. He's still recovering from that, and every day he gets farther away from the surgery, his arm's getting better and better back to where it was before, possibly even stronger because, obviously, you don't have surgery if everything's completely fine. Mm -hmm. So he he has to adjust to, to his body, which is adjusting. Now, we'll see if this holds up, uh, if he's more accurate down the road, but I think there's a case that you can make that this was probably going to be a one-off in terms of deep ac- accuracy, and that he'll return to what we saw from him as a freshman.
0: And I mean, having that arm strength back has—I mean, he's made some throws this year, but that, I, that's a good point that he hasn't really just. You know, yeah, like, he hasn't uh,
2: had one of those one of those like out routes where you turn up the volume and you can hear the pop when it hits mm-hmm. the the wide receiver's hands. Like those just absolute bullets. I don't know if we've seen one yet this year. We've seen some pretty good throws. We've seen some throws on a rope. We haven't seen a John Elway,
0: right? Kind of, yeah. I mean, that's kind of important for for Iowa, especially because I mean, you mentioned this in the preview too. But there's that hole, right? That's yep. Where you know, and and this is in every cover too, and. We saw it on Maryland was using him to we'll get to it in the defense too. But Michigan Maryland was targeting that as well, and I mean, there's just no way to defend that if you're also going to be taking away the middle, right? Because the safety's got to get over.
2: Well, and in particular, if you're a cover two corner and you're sinking, and the guy who's running into the flat is Blake Corum, mm-hmm. you might be sucking up on that. You know, I mean, if you want to have a linebacker chase that guy inside out, okay. Right. And if you and if you want. To to contain Blake Corum, that that corner is going to have to get a little bit handsy. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to get a little bit. He's going to get his nose a little bit up in that flat. So that whole shot is what you got to be able to hit. So I think I think McCarthy will demonstrate that he has that Joe Milton in him because that was the best <laughs> thing Joe Milton ever did is throw the whole shot.
0: <laughs> he was great. at He it. was yeah.
2: He's like an all time great at throwing the whole shot and nothing else. But and
0: Robin Wilson was great at catching it too. I mean they they had that down. Well, I
2: mean, I, it's just something where I feel like Arty is, is going to get there, even with the bad decisions. And so the bad decisions, there are a lot of them. There's that near intercession. There's a couple of missed zone reads. The second one was fairly boggling, hmm. where there's just nobody out on the edge. They put they put quads out there, and the quads are really paying attention. The, there's four guys paying attention to the wide receivers. The, and the defensive end just tears right after the running back, and there's no pull. I got (laughs) to fix that. You got to fix that. Right. And then, you know, he's got Blake Corum on a wheel route against, uh, Chami, who's 260 pounds of defensive end. And he doesn't immediately pull the trigger on that. All right. We got to work through some things. And, you know, we, we've been hearing all week that Maryland threw some things at, uh, McCarthy that they hadn't put on film yet, Mm -hmm. which makes some sense. This potential statement game for Maryland. They lose it eventually by a touchdown, like yeah, they're going to they're going to throw some kitchen sink at Michigan in this one and he's a young quarterback who hasn't seen all these coverages and is he a guy who I think will improve? Yeah, we've seen him do a lot of things that are very advanced and I think that he will learn. I think he'll have some growing pains. And the thing is even though, you know, he had a fumble which is a minus 3, he had a near interception which is a minus 3. He had a couple other pretty big negative plays. He still managed to scrape above 0 in this game. He was plus one point five, maybe plus two or something like that, which isn't great. Right. <laughs> but his down to down consistency just in terms of his accuracy just continues to pop off the screen. Like there has not been a single inaccurate pass this year that was not a
0: bomb. Period. <laughs> and and I mean you, you mentioned the the bomb to to Bell, but the other one I was thinking of is the touchdown that he threw that that was, I know that but, like you know that's just a guy coming across a formation but that's the opposite field and it was what 30 yards downfield or 25 yards downfield I mean it, it was, was 20
2: he, they were right on the 20 it was like right on the edge Yeah of the but head he's zone, dropping so. all the way back I'm just
0: the, I'm adding well, his he, drop back to that too like how far yeah, you, he traveled was Usually
2: you know you don't add the drop back to just it's not something that's usually I okay
0: but you you but you just see it lay into his hands and it's like
2: yeah, it's when he finds a guy who's open and he lays it, in, it's so easy. Mm-hmm. Like there's that uh, out route to to Schoonmaker where he doesn't have any separation, and he just lays it out a little bit out in front, takes Schoonmaker off his feet, but has to to get that in there. And you know when he gives it to someone on a on a drag route, it is always catch and run, you know there's been a couple of routes where it's like, "Ah, I kind of took that guy off his feet, but sometimes it's kind of like, I think the wide receiver should have done better with that. Like hitting a year last week. Um, So that has been utterly consistent. And it's just about recalibrating that deep ball and maybe getting a little bit more experience, being a little bit more decisive. And for the love of God, if you're running four verts and there's nobody on the screen anymore, just run the ball. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you, it's there. You you alluded to this too that like and I you know I call it the Pep Hamilton thing where like they they don't have an outlet route for him or guys don't don't stop when they're doing that like they're just running people all the way downfield.
2: Yeah, the the vert stuff was I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know if there's a difference between four verts in an air raid and four verts not in an air raid, but all the People on the internet always talk about the air rate. Yeah. So this is my understanding of this play. And what four verts is, it is not just four guys running down the field, unless that's what it's supposed to be. If you get guys sinking, just bailing off the screen, there's supposed to be stops at 15 yards. And that's didn't happen. So that shot to Roman Wilson where Sam told us that he released the wrong way. All right, he released the wrong way. Hmm. can he come off that? Where is he going to go if he comes off it? He's got quorum at releasing, but quorum's got two guys on him. And Maryland is in the parking lot on the other side of the field, but the other guys aren't really running routes. They're just kind of jogging off the line of scrimmage. And that is something that you're seeing more teams do. Baylor started that, where it's just like, save your energy. This isn't going to you. And it was a running clock in a late – in a tempo situation so it was the that was the drive at the end of the first half Michigan picks up a first down they get to the line of scrimmage and that's what the call is so to me that looks like a play that's just wired for Wilson from the start and uh, throws off but he can make that throw you know it's like yeah. Roman Wilson's got a release to the outside is what what does he with JJ McCarthy on the field I don't think he does yeah I think JJ McCarthy can put that in there
0: I agreed with Sam that like there are guys who will fight their way outside, but that's really not Roman's. Game. I mean,
2: yeah, Roman Wilson is not gonna, not gonna do that. And right. if it's a if it's really a fade route, and the other guy has leverage, you, you can't run through the guy. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you get a pa- pass interference, which would be a very bad pass interference, but they do throw those flags. But to me,
0: yeah, Jane Costa like, wants that to be everybody's offense because they get those flags.
2: I mean, to me, that's a mistake for McCarthy because you got to see where the leverage is. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like the leverage of the wide receiver, you got to come off it. But you can't throw it outside when the defensive back's outside. I yeah. mean, and there was, yeah, there were a couple other things where there was like three verts and then a dig route and they walled off the dig. And it's like, well, what is he supposed to do now? And the answer was run, run the hmm. ball. But the... uh He's got to have that in his bag, right? Because if Michigan is going to run all those routes real deep and they get covered, fine, because there's nobody on the field except the defensive end or something or one linebacker, and he's fast enough that he can make people pay for that. But he's got to have that reaction.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: No, That's something that a lot of young quarterbacks rely on too much. Uh, McCarthy has shown absolutely no inclination to take off and run. Like Every oh. once in a while, but when he scrambles, it's to pass. Yeah. So, so it's, a, it's a, a a last option for him. He, like that Ishtar thing, number one, where he got the scramble on third and seven. He didn't want to scramble. That was just the last option that he was presented with. Yeah. And, and he, and he, on he was that still third and four- to
0: pass up until like there was just nobody in front of him.
2: Yeah. And that third and 14 sack against Hawaii where he, he could take off, but he's looking downfield. And that's good that's much more advanced than you would usually expect from a young quarterback but there are situations where it's like i got to get on my horse and go yeah that was one of them
0: i mean you could tell he watches certain nfl quarterbacks who like to extend the play back there as much as possible and
2: well yeah the, <laughs> gets... i mean the the issues with those is that like he had guys on those plays mm-hmm. he just didn't see them especially on the the second one which was the 15 yard loss it's like it's second and 10 you got to check down to Two guys. There were two guys open for decent yardage. And that's like a situation where it's like, yeah, check it. Check Mm it down. Um so yeah, there was there were a lot of mistakes, but the overall situation is incredibly accurate quarterback, athletic quarterback, guy who once he figures some things out is gonna be an all American type guy. Um there were also other people on the football field. Yeah, most of them tight ends. Yeah, so I'm 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 always like nervous when I pull out a weird one for, for the known friends and trusted agents because I'm like, oh god, I hope these guys grade out well. And the tight ends did.
0: Hey, uh,
2: <laughs> Schoonmaker in particular just continues a mashing season. Honigford did a great job. Bredesen did a great job. And the overall offensive line grading came out at like 76%. Mm-hmm. Which is really good against a, an actual opponent. And the, I think something that was even more encouraging is that I think eight or 10 of those were minus twos for missed assignments. And that's a problem on one level, but it's the kind of problem that f- gets fixed over time.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, people, wasn't, it people, wasn't something that I think we were really worried about. Maybe, maybe all hottie or something, but like, I mean, you've seen him well, he's been in the program for years. Zinter, he's not going to lose battles once he gets to a guy and I don't Jones think Zinter kind of had a minus two I and
2: mean, Bredesen had one mm-hmm. Hayes had one uh Hadi had one and, and some of the things are, are things that are understandable like they Michigan was cracking with one of their wide receivers on power and one one of those times Michigan ate a corner blitz and Hadi didn't take the corner he was just trying to get to the linebacker and so they're gonna run that again later in the season. And what you're gonna see is Al Hadi is gonna kick that quarterback out, and then the wide receiver is gonna to have to go to the linebacker, and they're gonna make that switch on the fly. I bet mm-hmm. you a dollar. <laughs> so I would much rather see that in game four and your first game against a real opponent than guys getting pushed around. Sure. And that was not the case. Now, this isn't the greatest defensive line that we're gonna see, but they have veterans, they have guys who are 320, 310 three and 295 on that defensive line. I think it means something that just in terms of physicality, in terms of where people are on the line of scrimmage, they were getting pushed downfield. And I think that's, that's an encouraging
0: sign. And and speaking of guys, I mean, I think they're both fifth year players. The Scootmaker and Hayes have that one play where they basically execute a scoop on an edge play. Right. And you- yeah, I
2: mean, that was really interesting. Yeah. So they run power and they pull the tackle and the weak side linebacker just doesn't go anywhere because they didn't pull the guard. He's hanging right. on the guard. And so Schoonmaker kicks out a defensive end or linebacker. I forget exactly which. And then as soon as Hayes is showing up, he's like, Oh, my job here is done. Let's go get a second level player. And he does it.
0: And I'm like, Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's basically zone blocking, just in a different spot than you've done it before. And I, well, that, I mean, it's that... it's a
2: weird hybrid, right? It's yeah. like so. This is a gap block play, and it requires pretty precise timing from this tight end, and to trust Schoonmaker to be able to do that, and then to see him do it, like converted quarterback. He's not a converted quarterback anymore. Mm-hmm. He's a tight end. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then they they were. So we have this play called down G where you pull the front side guard. It's a quick hitter that goes off tackle. In this game they were pulling the front side guard and tackle because they had a tight end outside of it. And I was like, haven't seen that before. I'm sure people have run it. Like well, there's yeah. nothing I... to do under the sun in football.
0: But <laughs> I think they just actually, in terms of actually like, had it in the bag in like 2018 Wisconsin game or something like that. I remember seeing something I like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I don't know. I
2: can't remember seeing that before personally. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is qualitatively different than what we saw under gaddis now i mean i'm not sure i didn't chart the offense last year i don't have a, a an inherent sense of like how wacky the run game got but to me it didn't feel that wacky and now we're seeing sort of a resurgence of the harbaugh stuff Where it's like yeah, yeah we'll pull a backside tackle we'll we'll make up these plays that Brian has to figure out what the hell they are. And, and then we'll, we'll run a ton of duo on our four minute drill that we haven't done all day and pop Blake Corum outside to, to finish it off. So um, should I take, should I talk about Blake Corum? Is there anything to say anymore?
0: I mean, we can just sit here and smile like idiots for a while. We're on video anyway, so they won't can just watch them I mean, grinning while you talk about him.
2: This guy made one mistake. Yeah. 30 carries. Mm-hmm. And he didn't maximize his blocking twice. Like he tripped getting through a hole once. And then there was one instance where he should have cut up behind a blocker and sort of ran into the sideline and only got five yards instead of 10. And that's 30 carries. And he made the safeties miss more often than not. He's super fast. He's able to find holes on the interior. He's not a guy who wants to bounce, bounce, bounce. But if it's there, he'll take it. I mean, dude. Yeah. I, I, he's, he's the best. And he's the best we've charted.
0: And you gave him the only negative in pass blocking. I know this goes back to the offensive line, but like the only negative in pass blocking you gave him. And I was like, I, I you didn't chart it was, much longer than I have, but I would not have given him a minus one. Uh, he took care of the guy. And then like, yeah. Few seconds later, that guy comes and harassed your quarterback. Like You've done your job as a running back. If you it was, it stopped that guy from getting, you know,
2: it was pretty borderline. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I thought about it, but in the end, I gave it to him. I mean, there's there's never exactly a clear answer for a lot of these grades, and you're just trying to try to be fair as possible. And right, yeah, I I, I fully I, admit that one was. Court-line.
0: I felt like that one was because I was there last year with Blake Corm, where it's like I'm giving this guy a lot of positives. I'm worried that I'm just becoming a Blake Corm fanboy. So like when he when no, I mean, you know, he, like, against him,
2: <laughs> and if he if he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake. But I mean this was his first game where he was really the bell cow and he delivered. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. then the other thing that I think is going to be interesting going forward is I thought they'd put bell on the slot. They'd put Wilson on the outside. Wilson seems to be the primary slot guy. And it's not because he's jittery in short spaces. It's because, Oh God, right? <laughs> how do you run cover one against that? Yeah. Because <clears throat> I mean, the problem on, on the uh, Ishtar one, it's third and seven, and Maryland's showing cover one. And they've got press on Cornelius Johnson. That's McCarthy's first read. It should not have been McCarthy's first read. Press coverage against a fade on third and seven is a C- minus option.
3: Mm-hmm. If he
2: looks to the field, he has Ja'Corian Bennett on Roman Wilson. That's the number one corner, by the way, Yeah, on Roman Wilson. And he is in the parking lot. Because Roman Wilson has gotten over the top of him twice at this point, and and Maryland has gotten lucky that they haven't given up long touchdowns. So he stops at the sticks, and Ja'Corian Bennett is four yards away from him. So you got to watch that going forward, because anyone who who lines up in cover one is asking Mm -hmm. Roman Wilson to either set up shop far in front of your nickel corner or go the distance
0: not exactly Michigan fans that need to be reminded what speed can do to cover one defense.
2: Well, I mean, but I just think that's a really interesting uh, setup that Michigan has cuz it did seem like Bell was the most logical guy to 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 put there because he has the most chops, you know, mm-hmm. on 3rd and 7, he's going to be the guy who gets open, Drudilio style. And but Roman Wilson just has that that afterburner, and so he he, he doesn't need route chops. He just needs to stop, <laughs> right? <clears throat> so yeah, I think I think that about covers it. Is there was there anything else I'm, that I
0: just I mean, briefly, the offensive line with no marks against them in pass in pass pro. Like I mean, because that was the only earlier this year.
2: Yeah, we, I mean, but we we knew kind of going in that Maryland was not going to apply a lot of pressure,
3: mm-hmm.
2: so they really didn't blitz very much and Chami didn't have an impact and i was wondering if he might i think that's more about how he's not that great a player okay. and then their other three guys on the offensive line the defensive line are 300 pounds right so it's good that they passed that test i still think that's an open question now their organization was excellent so that's good um and i think one of the encouraging things is even though they got some big boys on that defensive line J.J. McCarthy could have stepped up in the pocket more than he did. Yeah. So on a couple of those like wild scramble plays, he had a nice pocket. He could have stepped up. He could have hit a guy. And he he freshmaned it, but baby steps.
0: Yeah. All right. Anything else with the offense, or can we uh, break and then come back about D? Yeah, let's talk about the D.
3: Hey, it's Nick Hopwood, founder and president at Peak Wealth Management. We have a lot in common. We both went to Michigan. We're both huge fans, but I'm concerned about how much time you're spending on Michigan football recruiting. This could be time spent with me pouring over your cash flow and Roth conversion strategy. How are these Roth conversions going to get done with you spending all your time and energy on MGO Blog looking at the next five-star recruits? Hey, all kidding aside, if you're addicted to MGO Blog and you want to outsource some of your financial planning to an expert, consider us, peakwm.com slash blog. At Peak, we work with people in a variety of situations. Some of our clients are young professionals looking to optimize their savings and investments. For young people, time is the key. Some of our clients are super affluent trying to figure out when they can retire. Some are high net worth retirees looking for a second opinion on how their money's working for them. Get your second opinion at peakwm.com slash mgoblog. Peak
1: Wealth Management.
3: Retire with Confidence. The
1: only thing we can be sure of about the future is that it will be absolutely fantastic. I'm thinking of the incredible breakthrough made possible by developments in communications.
2: Arthur C. Clarke's 1964 vision is now reality with SignalWire, a cloud platform that enables developers to build the applications that will reshape the future of communications.
1: These things will make possible a world in which we can be in instant contact with each other wherever we may be.
2: You can add cutting-edge, real-time video, and audio to any product, website, or or application with APIs and SDKs for developers of all skill sets. SignalWire is optimized for high-quality and low-latency communication functionality, for video, voice, and text messaging capabilities.
1: Almost any skill could be made independent of distance. Men will no longer commute. They will communicate.
2: See for yourself at SignalWire.com. Use code 2021 and receive $25 in developer credit. Go to SignalWire.com. SignalWire Communications OGs. Original geeks of programmable communication communication. It's painless. It's online. It's group ordering made easy for your next custom printed apparel order. Pogo from Underground Printing will save you time and hassle. Whether you're selling shirts for a fundraiser, organizing a large event, or trying to collect sizes and payment for a family reunion, UGP is here to help. Save time and hassle every step of the way with our easy-to-use site. No more guessing what to order, chasing down people to pay, or wasting time trying to sort out the order. We'll set it up and you can just sit back and relax. We can even take care of individual shipping. To learn more about Pogo, visit us at any of our convenient locations or at pogo.underground.com
0: Shirts.com. Want the perfect game day outfit? Underground printing has unique, great-fitting U of M apparel and officially licensed apparel from legendary Michigan names like Woodson, Howard, Eufer, and more. UGP also specializes in custom printed apparel and promotional items for groups, events, and businesses. Whether you need one shirt as a gift or 1,000 shirts for a charity walk, Underground can customize almost anything for groups large or small. To learn more, visit Underground Printing in one of our three convenient locations around Ann Arbor or online at undergroundshirts.com.
2: Go radio nine point eight
0: eight. four. Hey, we got the four. You got the four. (laughs) Whatever. It's the number of games we played. I
2: don't recognize your
0: numbers, Seth. They're all you created this. You are responsible for this. I would have just like kept on naming them. We'd be on like number two hundred something or whatever right now. Oh, just like oh god. Oh my god.
2: (laughs) Any of these? It's uh, alarming. Uh, All right. Uh, So defense. Defense versus Maryland. Uh, first, let's let's start with the good news. Tell tell me
0: what you saw in the Michigan secondary. <laughs> Javon Green. Oh my God. For some reason, for some reason, Maryland. And I grant that they have good they have good receivers. We were concerned about these receivers going into the season. Um, there was some thought that maybe they weren't as strong, except for Raheem Jarrett. And then, uh. Even he was shut down, and for some reason they were like, "Okay, when we got a chance, when we're rolling, what we're going to do is target Jamin Green and get a big play." And All oh right, my so God, did that not work for them?
2: And like Green is in Green is in position for a lot of these, and he's making it hard. Yeah, there was the one in the end zone where his head is around, and if anyone's going to catch the ball, it's him. The other ones are potential you get mossed plays that yeah. just didn't work out for Maryland. I know going into the season, we're like Channing dribbling phases out of reality. Do you think that's still a potential issue or do you think that he's moved past that in your estimation?
0: It's still a potential issue. It doesn't seem like it should happen that often. Uh, what I mean, because he doesn't get his head around, right? And like sometimes yeah. he gets his head around very late and he's just kind of waving the, the, and there was one or two times where, you know, a guy could have made a play, but the thing is he's in the guy's chest. So there, so Twice guys tried to make plays on him and they had to try and catch it with one hand because the other hand was, right. you know, would have had to go Occupied. through green. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And and it wasn't like he was holding. I know Maryland fans are complaining, but like rewatching these, I was, you know, looking for anything to, <laughs> to nail these refs for. You you got all the nice ref <laughs> kind of stuff because they were just not calling anything, which. You know, so the offense, I, like eh. I still
2: cannot believe the A.J. Henning offensive pass interference play. I, I, was know. Just like,
0: <laughs> I know. I was <laughs> like, yeah, but I mean, there's some ridiculous ones on the other side, too. It like they didn't review the well. The well, let's let's yeah.
2: let's but, let's yeah. Yeah. still concentrate. on Yeah, yeah. but like so, so. So one of the things I think we should get at here is that getting your head around is not always the right play. OK, like if you're out of phase, if you're in trail, you need to like not do that because the chances that you're able to make a play on the ball are low and the chances that you're able to make a play on the receiver are pretty good.
3: Sure. So,
0: yeah. But I mean, they teach you in the NFL to turn your head because they're going to call pass interference on things that aren't even yeah, pass This isn't the NFL. Right. So, so yeah, I, but I mean, he's, he's got that on his mind, obviously, but the, the, the way I mean you can turn your head around and still defend those. If you're that well in phase with a guy, it's not like he was in trail coverage and had to catch up. He was well, he knew what route this guy was running and he put him in the sideline and he gave him two inches to catch the ball. And whether his head was around or not didn't really matter. It's just whether you're playing the ball or you're playing the receiver at that point. And he had him he had the receiver locked up.
2: Well this this happened with Michael Floyd, mm-hmm. the incredible six foot four Notre Dame receiver and Notre Dame is playing Michael Floyd, and I think we're playing like J.T. Floyd. <laughs> and Michigan, <There's> a call. <laughs> Michigan is just like, all right, we can't cover this guy, but what we're gonna do is, as soon as he touches the ball, we're gonna you him. We're gonna drag and punch the ball out. Mm-hmm. And I think they may have done this with Green, where it's just like, okay, we're not gonna try to get the head around that much. You know, if if you're running on an over route or whatever, and it's natural, do it. But if we're talking about a fly route. Just do your job, and if the ball's there, just punch it out. And the one-handed things you're talking about, it's it's a lot easier to lose contact with the receiver if you look away.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I kind of feel like they may have looked at Green's limitations and been like, "Okay, this is how we're going to fix this," because he's he's always in the right spot, right?
0: Yeah, and he's and and you got to understand how um, how intelligent you have to be to pick up on the route and use that in order to to help with the coverage so like when he is covering that fade route that we that he got over and then he wants offensive pass interference but it's uncatchable anyway um but like the <laughs> I, I, yeah you they're not gonna that, call would, have been a, that would have been a hilarious
2: players. flag for them to throw
0: it would have been ridiculous
2: just the, the the vibes
0: especially given all everything they were letting go that day if they'd thrown that flag it would just have been knee slapping anyway he didn't just get on top of that route he waits for the guy to get almost to him and then he hops over on top of the route. And, I mean, what that does is now you have a cornerback directly in your way. You can run that guy over or you could try to, like, leave your route but it's a fade route and the ball's almost going to be, you know, ball's ready to be in the air. There, If you dominate the route like that, there's not a whole lot that the receiver can do other than completely put himself out of position uh, because he's basically, I mean, you've j- jumped into his, in exactly where he needs to go. And you know, that's not pass interference. That's completely legal. You're facing the play. It's really just jumping the route before the ball's in the air. And he was so good at that, this, this game. There was another time where a guy tried to uh, break outside of him, and he, it looks like he's going to give it out, up outside, and then he hops outside. And once again, now there's, you know, a little bit of hand fighting, and he goes downfield, and the guy's completely locked up. The ball didn't go his direction that way because the, so, the guy was already in the sideline. Um, So even when he was not targeted, Jamon Green was just owning those routes. Okay.
2: Do you have any other secondary takes before we move on to the less pleasant? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, the the way he tackles is like he's been doing it for four years. It's it's weird that a guy like this was playing offense last year because it's not just he can cover and he can cover. Right. He can turn his hips. He's got the he's got the chops. He's got the speed. They weren't. It was actually – Rod Moore was the only guy I think who was outrun of anybody on this defense when they – they have very fast receivers. It's going to happen against Maryland. Uh, And Samer still, his tackling was fantastic. Like, he looked like a guy who had been doing it for years. And, I mean, his edge work, everyone saw that. Like, I think I might have a tackle of the year that I need to start up too, just for that – you know, it's a corollary for your block of the year. And – the one that goes on the on there so far is just one of those early screen breakups where, you know, he's Michigan's a little bit late getting into their set and he knows exactly where to go. sees a break. They're in man coverage on that play, and you know he still sees it and he gets out on the guy and brings him down with no yak. And it's like, I mean that's that's a dude. I, that's I mean he's not going to be Dax Hill. He's not going to you know be blitzing the way that Dax Hill was. He's not going through a guy. Um, on the blitz, actually, if he got picked up, he got stopped. But you know that's he's a, he's cornerback sized. But I yeah. kind of think he's going to be an NFL cornerback now.
2: Prophecy shall come true. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Now, now we got to move on to some some less uh, salutary matters. No, we don't. Gave... No, we don't. Gave... No, we don't. Mousie Smith. All right. All right. Smith. We had a Mousie gave... Smith game. You gave Kolel Mullings a hideous score. Uh-huh. Like, uh huh. Like a. Like a score that I'm like skeptical of because it's like I've done this before where I'm like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if all the problems were just this one guy? <laughs> and we couldn't replace him with a starter. They weren't, though. There's a lot of negatives injured. on
0: the other guys, too. Yeah. So,
2: but it really stuck out. I mean, for was it like zero minus 14? That's,
0: yeah. I mean, a couple of like them were are throwing negative threes at him. And... Okay.
2: Okay. You shouldn't so, do that.
0: Well, he had two negative threes.
2: Can't – no, wait. There's no way you can have a negative three on, like, a play that goes uh,
0: – There was a touchdown at the end of the game. Oh, the – oh the Yeah. Oh, okay, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's a negative three. <laughs> and, and the other one was also a very long play. I can forget which one it was now. It's It was – but, I yeah, they were – I mean, a lot of it was just, like, little moments where they were um, – and I wasn't knocking linebackers if a lineman releases on him immediately, right? Like, that's not... If you're if that's happening, then your defensive tackle should win his one-on-one in front of you. And, you know, Devin Bush maybe hops out of the way of those guys, but I don't necessarily negative that. I did negative if the lineman is, is holding up a double and you have a window to shoot into the backfield. The ball's already... So it's not like they're being read on an RPO. But if you have a window to shoot, you gotta shoot. And that was something that you know, we've seen Nikai Hillgreen be very good at, at something that uh, Josh Ross was very good Josh at. Josh
2: Ross last year, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, that, and that's so it's not like something that they don't teach, right? That can't be something that you don't have in Michigan's defense because other linebackers last year were doing the same thing in the same situation. Colson came in for a bunch of those. He made up all of his points by being fast and doing crazy stuff with his athleticism. And Mullings did not. He picked up maybe six or seven of those.
2: I mean, is there a case here that you're going up against Maryland, Mm -hmm. and you're you're just coaching these guys to be like, all right, don't get RPO'd in some sort of heinous fashion. Like, this might be a game where the linebackers are just being coached to not shoot the gaps instead of, and like sometimes it's 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 a third down or whatever, and that's like clearly not the ideal kind of situation, but. I mean, it's just hard. I think it's probably even harder for linebackers these days to be real decisive, um, just because <laughs> they'll yeah. throw it over your head now. Well,
0: and, and because part of the whole the way the game was officiated, Maryland on their throws had guys four, three, four, five, six yards downfield at, at times. So it was. It's not like a, a lineman releasing downfield could tell you know is going to be a tell in this game because Maryland realized that it wasn't going to get called, so they were just throwing guys downfield. I specifically tried to look for guys who were getting red on RPOs and give them Mm a break. So, like, that's actually why Barrett didn't come in for as many, because he was sitting back as well. But Barrett was usually the guy being red. They were reading the edges a lot more, because their RPO game, um, they had a few slants that they were trying to get, but a lot of times it was outside stuff, right? They wanted to throw it outside, and they, they wanted to throw bubbles. When they did throw bubbles, Sainra still was usually there. Um, but they, uh, you could tell that's what their game plan was, and Michigan actually had scouted that and reacted to it very well to force it back inside. There was one play in particular where they they think they have it set up, and you could tell that uh, Veloa thinks that he's got um, the bubble screen there because the safety has come all the way down. The safety, I think, is Rod Moore. In this point, he's all the way down like he's blitzing. And then he backs out. And he goes when they bring a guy across the formation. He goes out with the with the bubble, and then he has to go to his second read, which is a zone read. Um, he's it's actually a midline read, and Michigan gives him a a, a handoff, and you could you could tell that was an RPS plus two. That was a they wasted all their guys. They thought they were going to get a big play on the backside. Maryland had the scripted. Michigan called the right play at the right time to, to beat it. And all you need to do is you got singles on the front side and nobody for Barrett, and Barrett's just sitting there not attacking it. And it's like, this is this is what you set up. Just pay it off. And that, I think just the linebackers, Colson, Barrett, Mullings, are not comfortable yet. None of them are in knowing what you got in front of you, knowing it's your opportunity, and going and get it. And I don't think that that really comes without lots of experience in Colson's case um, or just having that kind of – you know, mentality and Barrett's never been that guy, right? He's never been an inside linebacker kind of guy. He's a viper.
2: Right. Um, all right, moving on to the defensive line before we get to the the really pleasant part. Mm. You know, it felt live like Maryland just didn't get any pressure the whole game. And then you kinda of go over the the film again, and you're like, well, I mean there were instances where Michigan was very close to a sack and Tungavailoa was able to escape or just got the ball off. And this is a situation in which adding up all the numbers and coming up with some numbers at the end
0: seems pretty useful. So what was your take on Michigan's ability to get to Tungavailoa? It's got to be more organized. So that's the thing. They actually would have guys getting to the backfield. And then there's one example where I, I gave Morris a plus because he comes through he comes through the tackle. And he pressures, and he gets Tagovailoa to have to leave the pocket. And there's nobody else coming around. Like, last year you had Hutchinson being able to go inside a guy, and when he did that, the quarterback has to abandon the pocket, he has to step back, he has to run out that side because you're giving up the edge when you do that. And then what you normally have is somebody rushing around the outside in order to track him down. They weren't getting that guy. So there were a lot of instances where... They, someone had a good pass rush. Um, maybe there was a stunt in the middle and they got uh, Smith going up the middle or Jenkins up the middle. They would have the good pass rush. They'd put him out of the pocket and just nobody was there to collect. And I don't know if it's rush lanes. It's kind of hard for me at this point. I don't have the technical know-how to know like what the rush lanes are and, and on, on certain types of blitzes and who's responsible for what. But So I'm trying to guess and... I give out negative to like Harold because I think he's the guy who's supposed to be getting out there. But well, like, it's
2: often it's not necessarily one particular guy's fault. I mean, there's right. pass rush wins where you just win and then you get a sack, but then there's pass rush wins where you need someone else to clean up. And it's not that Jalen Harold didn't do it. It's that not Jalen Harold didn't do it, and Monty Smith didn't do it, and Chris Jenkins didn't
0: do it. Yeah. I also know I it, I came out in the end of the game with a pretty high pressure score, but then I looked at how much of that pressure score came from the last drive when Tongo right. Bayo is out and they're playing Moore and Oki, right? And those guys are your pass rushers. And lo and behold, they're getting a lot of pass rush and they got sacks on those drives. Um, so, <laughs>
2: like, same offensive line. Yeah. Different quarterback who actually turned out to be fairly mobile, but Mo- Michigan probably isn't respecting his ability to move nearly as much. They're not no. And then you put your freshman out there and then your transfer out there and things suddenly
0: get better, like way a lot be- better, way better. And like, and then like, I like to- bench, bench someone better. Well, I, I I don't know how those guys are against the run. That's the thing. Cause that's a situation sure. where Maryland's down two touchdowns with three minutes left. They have to pass and so, those are your pass rushing dudes. And I mean, it's a huge difference with Morris in there. It's a huge difference with Oki in there. Uh, sorry, with Moore in there. Morris can pass rush. Morris is, I think, fine. He might be, he's not necessarily fast enough to be able to, to do it in his zone.
2: But he's, I mean, he's exactly Chris Wormley.
0: Exactly. He's exactly. exactly Chris Wormley. Wormley. Yeah. And Chris Wormley was part of a very effective pass rush. He was a cleanup guy sometimes. And he was, or he's the guy who kind of forced you in to chase Winovich, right? They
2: I mean, don't he's, have yeah. the win. pass rush was like, he didn't have you win, you get a sack pass rush. He had you win, someone else clean this up pass Did
3: rush. I, yeah,
0: you have to leave the pocket, go find somewhere else to be quarterback. Uh, and usually, wherever else he would be, there would be somebody to challenge him. Uh, the problem is, you know, Upshaw is just not a pass rusher. He gets stuck on guys. He doesn't have any moves. He's just, I think if they had more defensive ends, he would be a tackle right now. That he's, you know, just give him a little I bit mean, more weight and put him in size. I mean,
2: this was the read on him preseason. He's just a guy, right? So, yeah. um, I mean.
0: And I think that he had 28 snaps versus Braden McGregor's 24. uh the I mean, pro football focus is counting. And, I mean, he should not be getting more snap. I know that some of those are actually at tackle because he's part of, like, the um, the pass rush package. or And they also used him, like, in – situations they thought would be run situations. But Brayden McGregor's not really getting beat by doubles anymore and that's it's actually kind of hard to get a double on your edge player because he's, you know, outside so far. So with the success they're having with their defensive tackles, I know we'll get to them. I think that Brayden McGregor should be the starter now. And then in the future, I think the over, starter over or no, Harrell? over over Upshaw. And okay, Upshaw's well, oh sorry, over over him, and then I think he... M- Move all of Upshaw's snaps to McGregor, and you actually have a couple more snaps for him than you have Jalen Harrell. So you have 28 snaps for Upshaw. You have 24 snaps for McGregor. McGregor. Combine those and give them to the McGregor. And then you have like a 50-50 split with him and Harrell. Because Harrell, the way they want to pass rush is they want to compress the pocket, right? You have Morris yeah. just pushing that closed. You have defensive tackles who can actually like get upfield. Either needs somebody who's going to win a one-on-one pass rush. Don't really have that unless you get Oki and Moore in there. Or you just need somebody who's going to be able to push. And you got that a couple times from Harrell, but he doesn't really have that. And when he tries to spin move, he's stopped. And when he tries to push somebody, he's 234 pounds. He's just going to get pushed back. So he actually can win a move and then lose the pass rush because the tackle can fix himself. It's the Big Ten. There's going to be holding, and that really nerfs him right like as long as he's got a hold of you you're not getting he's not harold's not getting free and it all right yeah. all right mozzie smith go ha our, that all was right. our first shield game <laughs> right yeah. yeah uh and it, it was just it's one of those things where he's just plus one-ing most plays and right. then uh they kind of switched up what they were doing because originally they were trying to kind of, they were trying to scoop the tackles originally and Get down to the alignment and get down the linebackers, and that only worked a couple times because our um, our tackles are just—you want to double them, you're just going to get stuck on them the whole time. And Smith was pushing those guys in the backfield, so they finally said, "Okay, we're going to single block Smith and just try to go around him." And then it was up to him to like dominate that guy, and he was. And I think what happened with Maryland's run game later in the game was they were running at a single Mozzie Smith, and he was two gapping people and. Okay, now it's over, right? Like, that's the. They're, they're, they're not even getting to the linebackers anymore. And that's what we saw earlier in the season, too. But Smith didn't get to play often enough for it to really matter. And now you have, you know, a full game from him. He barely left the field this whole game. And that really turned things into a. That, that's. You got to see what Mozzie Smith's going to do. And oh, so is, is it awesome? Also, he was the guy who got to pass rush. Jenkins really kind of was the one they had. You know how Michigan's pass rush leads like one tackle down, so it's just not going to be an escape up the middle. And this time, Smith was the one that actually got to go upfield, and that helped his scores as well, because he was the one consistently uh, pushing the pocket, forcing the the quarterback to gather when the defensive ends weren't, weren't weren't doing it.
2: And then I think it's notable that Mason Graham and Rachel on Benny both came in for good scores. Like, not a lot of snaps, but... A bunch of impact in those snaps and not a lot of negatives.
0: Yeah. So we were both right on that Benny one where uh, where he just whips a guy and he's in the backfield. And like um, that play, Oki needs to kind of help out. Oki needs to get outside. and He needs to be pushing a lot harder, right? You can't just sit there, get stuck on your guy and watch your your defensive tackle make the play. Right, especially because he's got a guy outside who moves the edge. Yes. Um, but... Also, Benny got around that guy so fast. I thought he actually did have time to collect himself and get low if he'd, if he'd been no, practicing a little bit more. But it's still—I it, it, mean, it was—it was a hell of a play, and it's—it was an example of what you're going to see from Benny in the future because that was a very athletic play to make, and just being able to get in the backfield, whether or not you're making that tackle, like—that's a dude. Yeah,
2: and. So we saw Cam Good very briefly at the beginning of this game. Right. And then it was mostly Mozzie Smith and Chris Jenkins and then Graham and and Benny. I think you have a pretty solid two deep at defensive tackle now, which is amazing because they could get all these guys back. They're not gonna, but (laughs) Mozzie Smith is going to be in the NFL, but to have this kind of depth. And then you got Kenneth Grant coming, you got George Rooks like, this was a huge trouble spot a couple years ago, and now it looks like it's back to being a strength.
0: I know it's it's over. <laughs> it's like it's uh, you know, I mean, Graham was just solid in this game. He didn't get that many snaps, really. I, I uh, he because Good kind of got a little bit of his playing time early in the game, and um and Benny was playing a whole bunch too. But uh, yeah, I mean, like he just feels like one of the guys now, and then. You got to see a whole game with Jenkins. He's just so hard to stay on. He's got long arms, and he's got that athleticism. So, I mean, he's not Mohurst, right? Or if he's Mohurst, it's going to happen next year. But, like, he just doesn't stay blocked, and he doesn't make big mistakes. And, like, that combination is just – it's over. Like, (laughs) I mean, I I can't tell you Rooks is going to be awesome, but, like, you're going to – you have – Depth or like all the backups now are freshmen except for Cam Good. And I
2: mean, e- yeah. even Rooks has flashed a little bit here and there. So I think yeah. that, and he's also still undersized. So I think he's, he's still got some, some come up to do in the weight. And when he gets there, he'll be pretty good. All right. We're going to take one more break, come back, and we got a gimmicky top five for you.
0: If you want to see where our post-game podcast happens, or if you need a spot to land in Ann Arbor, check out 4M, Prentice Partners' beautiful brand-new flagship property at 830 Henry Street in Lower Burns Park and across the bridge from the big house. Their 11 spacious 6-bedroom, 6-bath suites feature state-of-the-art digital capabilities and are laid out for comfortable, efficient collaboration. You can also rent a 4M unit for shorter stays, say if you want to come to town for a football weekend. I want to add myself that they're also taking over Lucky's. We're really excited about their plans for that space. So if you're by the stadium, swing by 830 Henry or visit Prentice4M.com.
3: This is Matt Demrest, the owner of HomeShare Lending. We're a local mortgage company here to help you purchase with confidence and refinance with ease. People don't get mortgages very often, so it can be confusing. We'll break down every single line item so that it all makes sense. And at the end of the day, if we're not giving you the best deal, we'll tell you to go with the other company. We're here to offer our simple mortgage guidance.
0: This is Seth Fisher from Emgo Blog. Over the years, we've sent dozens of readers to use HomeShare Lending, and every review that's come back has been raving. I myself used them to refinance after doing our original loan through our bank. I was amazed how much smoother the process was for our company get them loan. Brian
3: used them, you should use them too. Finding out whether it makes sense or not to refinance or getting pre-approved to buy a new home is easy. Head over to homesurelending.com. That's H-O-M-E-S-U-R-E lending.com slash mgo blog to find out more. Or call us at 734-531-9950. That's 734-531-9950. I've got two of my favorite people here with me, kind of an annual tradition, Cooper and Colby. Cooper, how old are you? 11. Colby, how about you? 9. Can I get a Go Blue? Go Blue! NMLS number 1161358, Equal Housing Lender
2: Here's a thing people say, Seth, tell me about your insurance I'm
0: actually glad you asked me about that because I just changed my insurance and I'm really happy I did
2: Let me guess, you use Phil Klein and Owen Rosen of the Phil Klein Insurance Group
0: They are MGo blog readers and they don't advertise during football games And they've got a
2: 5-star rating on anything you would care to see Call Owen at 248-682-7445 or visit them online at philkleininsurance.com in southeastern Michigan, the yearly cost for a nursing home averages approximately 100000 It doesn't have to, though. Reed McCarthy founded Ann Arbor Elder Law after handling a tricky situation for his own family. Years of experience later, his boutique firm works with clients across southeast Michigan dealing with Medicaid planning, long-term care, and tax, disability, and family law, not to mention family dynamics. If you have a family member who may need that level of care, or if you're ready to start your own estate plan, Reed can give you a plan for the future. Visit Ann dot com or call 734-945-9693. That's 734-945-9693. Welcome back to MGo Radio 8.4. There you go. Ah, uh, disappointing. Now I have nothing else to accomplish in my life. I have uh, gotten the MGo Radio correct. Now I'm just going to fade into nothing. No, else. At
0: least there's still the podcast on Sat on Sunday. You can get that one wrong. Although you, uh, get, you get multiple takes to sad. do that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. That was Sugar Shack, right. by the way. Detroit-based Sugar Shack. If uh, if you want to check out the musician, that can you say that with more enthusiasm, please? <laughs> Go check out Sugar Shack. They're a Detroit-based awesome band that that sounds kind of like Rocky or Jet. I like them a lot. All right. Well done.
2: Thank you. We have a gimmicky top five contrasts. Nominally, this was supposed to be the same thing, the same start, and then a different finish, but that was really hard. So <laughs> just do contrasts. All right. So you ready?
0: Seth, you're number five. Michigan backup quarterbacks at zone reads and RPOs versus Michigan starting quarterbacks at zone reads and RPOs for some Ah. reason for some reason. So my theory on this is that with the starter, they're sitting around practicing coverages all week and they like Uh, also there's probably a a directive not to get
2: hurt, especially when the backup quarterback is currently injured.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's probably part of it too. But uh, I mean, the yards are out there. So
2: Alex, number five,
1: All right, I have some off-the-wall ones, but this one has a direct Michigan connection. It is the return for the Ottawa Senators versus the return for the New York Islanders in the 2001 Alexi Yashin for Zdeno Chara trade, (laughs) which includes Michigan assistant coach Bill McCult is in this trade. He was the spare part that came with Zdeno Chara, future Hall of Famer at the time. And Jason Spezza, hall, a hall of very good player. And uh-huh. Bill McCault in exchange for a fading star in Alexi Ashin.
2: Oh, that's like your your equivalent of being Craig Ross. You've just lost Ross <laughs> it. Like here's something nobody else remembers except
1: me. <laughs> I just find it funny that a Michigan assistant coach is involved in one of the more lopsided NHL trades of all time, and no one I, remembers it at I, all.
0: I find it interesting that that trade came around the same time as the Chris Chelios trade, which was also yep. getting a fading star for a bunch of prospects and good players. And then after, it ends out completely the opposite. Like nobody. Yeah,
1: and then the, the 38-year-old ends up playing 10 more years in the NHL. Right,
0: Chicago wastes both their draft picks, and they get nothing out of like the guys that rubbing sent them. and
2: Yeah. Ah, anyway, my number five is Mel Tucker versus fiat currency. <laughs> so, I was gonna like make some. I was gonna make Mel Tucker versus whatever crypto thing has just imploded recently because they did issue Mel Tucker NFTs that I'm sure you can purchase for many, many cents. And fiat currency, ah, there's a little bit of inflation. No, it uh, goes up a little bit. Goes down a little bit. It's fine. It's pretty much the same all the time. Mel Tucker goes 11-2. and two, And now Mel Tucker's going
0: 0-14. <laughs> this has been Fact. crypto advice. I so oh and Bri- 14 Buy or sell, Brian. you get going to hit the hot button. That's the- <laughs> your number four. I, mine is also a Mel Tucker joke. The state of Mel Pearson's former program versus the state of Mel Tucker's former program. Because, because uh, yeah, Colorado, Colorado is... Buffaloes are not good. They are Ooh. very bad. <laughs> yeah, I.
2: It could have been on our non-conference schedule. <laughs> that's how bad they are!
1: <laughs> really? How much would you have to be paid to watch Colorado versus Colorado State if that were? A I game would
2: this not year? have to be
0: paid anything. That's a cl- that's a classic sickos game. <laughs> uh, it's also been years and years and years since Colorado State like has won that game, and there's a beautiful trophy for it, and like. Man, the one time you get Colorado down, it's like, no, 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 the one year I don't have a team.
1: Uh Alex, you number four. All right. This is uh an interesting one. It is Ewan McGregor versus everyone else who acted in the Star Wars prequel movies. I will not take <laughs> any Ewan McGregor slander on this podcast. <laughs> he makes those movies eminently watchable. No Star Wars boomer takes for me. <laughs> Ugh. Okay,
2: what's a Star Wars boomer take? Is
1: it? Yeah, these are the people born in the early '70s who thought the prequels were supposed to be for them when they were really for us, the kids born in like the '90s. Oh yeah, you were probably like what
2: six when? Oh yeah, Thomas those Benoit movies slapped.
1: Out? Yeah, if you were oh, five God. or ten, they were awesome. If you were now, 30, that's what I call pod in... racing. Uh, yeah, exactly. And they were
0: great because of you and McGregor. I, I, mine my... <laughs> I mind those movies less now that I've seen what, like, Disney came up with for the franchise. Like, at least George was still being original in those things. It was obviously for children, but I can watch everything but Episode 2 more than I can watch, like, Okay, Episode episode 2
1: could be this one. The Obi-Wan scenes in that movie, especially Obi-Wan and Kamino, awesome scenes. Anakin Padme scenes, unwatchable scenes.
0: Yeah, well, I don't think any of those actors were taking it seriously. No actors would take George Lucas' direction seriously. They just, you know, they, 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 they if you look, go back and watch the first ones, the acting's not great either. They're just like, you can tell this, like he's never directed actors and hates directing actors. Anyway, we're getting way off topic here. We should save that for hope. Ryan's
1: faces are <laughs> splendid right now.
0: <laughs> Very visual
2: podcast. My number four is Josh Uje versus Juche. So Josh Juche is a defensive end in the NFL, and Juche is the revolutionary philosophy of North Korea. Self-explanatory.
0: Seth, you're number three. Being, on the, being a Michigan fan on the internet before November 27th, 2021, <laughs> and being a Michigan fan on the internet after November 27th, 2021.
2: Also self-explanatory. <laughs> Alex, you're
0: number three.
1: That should have been your number one. Um... <laughs> This one is pretty self-explanatory for the people who understand this. 2011 to 2014, Detroit Tigers rotation versus Detroit Tigers bullpen. Nothing else <laughs> needs to be said about that.
2: All right. We're 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 really burning through it now. My number three is Juwan Howard contemplating Wisconsin versus Juan Howard doing anything else. <laughs> He's the nicest guy. I see him at the football games. I sit like across – the field from him he's in like the he's in like the seats with the recruits and all that stuff down by the team and i'm on the other side of the field and whenever it's like time to get up and pump up i see him waving his giant limbs around (laughs) he's like a six foot ten denard just hyping everybody up around him and uh he's just like brothers
0: thing too is he like putting those arms out i
2: haven't i haven't i'll i'll check next time (laughs) i'll i'll make i'll check But like, you know, he's just, this he's like the coolest dude ever. He's like jamming out and rocking with the tunes. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. But, you know, and Wisconsin just makes him so red, he wants to murder all of them. Completely normal reaction just means he's a human being. (laughs) But,
0: yeah, understandable. Seth, you're number two. Caveman offense under Jim Harbaugh versus caveman offense under anybody else besides Jim Harbaugh. Oh, I think, I think, uh, does anyone else Paul Johnson? <laughs> mm, I mean, that's not caveman, that's triple no, option. It's not. Yeah, I think, I think you got it. I mean, is anybody it's anybody else. I mean, even the Wisconsin guys, like Chris yeah, offense is not caveman, kind of it's just outside zone, right? No one else is putting three tight ends out there in 2021 and making it work. Yeah, that's true. All right, yeah, uh, Alex, you're number two.
1: Okay, Alabama kicking from 2007 to the last couple of years versus everything else about the Alabama football program over that period of time. Dominant in everything but their inability to make field goals. That was their only uh, kryptonite, but now they have a good kicker, so that's it's faded.
0: Recruited Even that's
2: boring. Yeah. <laughs> Alabama making everything boring and winning all the time. Got to stop that. My number two is the Rose Bowl versus a UCLA home game. Hmm. you go to the Rose Bowl and there's all these people who are incredibly excited to be there they're like yes this is the best stadium in America I can't believe I have the privilege I have the ability I have the wherewithal to be here at this time in this place and then for UCLA home game it looks like you know Michigan State playing a Big Ten team
3: (laughs) There's nobody there. There's nobody
2: there.
1: There is nobody there.
2: And I know it's 30 miles away from campus, and in L.A.,
1: 30 miles may as well be 300. Uh, Do you know what, David? Have they announced the attendance for those games? Four. (laughs) That's not
0: fair to Michigan State. There is at least 50 people booing at the Minnesota game. Uh, And Seth, you're number one. The nepotism hire of Jim Harlow, damn it. <laughs> yeah. Versus every other nepotism hire in Big 10 history. And I get to do this one cuz I know Big 10 history. Uh, <laughs> Sorry Brian, I I apologize. I think you I think that was everybody's number 1.
2: No,
1: I, I have I have one. Oh, okay. Uh Yeah. I'll I'll throw mine in here real quick. Uh Michigan offensive lines under Tim Trevno versus Michigan offensive lines under Ed Warner.
2: Yeah, my number one is Iowa nepotism versus Michigan nepotism. Yeah,
0: but I mean, I'm gonna, gonna start going the rest first of the on tenants. these. Ten <laughs> in there, man. Like I always go last, and that places me at a huge disadvantage. Do you remember Michigan's offensive line in like 2007? That was like like the Andy Moeller lines. Like that was that was hard on us too. That's so, true. Yeah, but I'm gonna start going last, Because <laughs> you guys are always stealing my my bits. Well, I mean, can't, can't can't. No, I mean, you're you're the you're the editor. You're the the original. You're supposed to have the better bits. You're supposed to like beat us. It's not, it's not our fault. That, you know, it's, all right, we're the Marylands. Go blue beat Iowa. She makes our vodka, vodka. Vodka, Singing this crazy song.
1: mayor and a land surveyor
0: with plans of his own. He hates Aruska, he hates a vodka, bandit from his home. He hates Ruska, vodka, vodka, vodka. he He never never drank a single drop. He He hates Ruska, vodka,
1: vodka, Vodka. this poison he swears to stop. He's singing la-da-da-da-da.